Welcome to episode 202 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Imagine for a moment that it is January 3rd and you're writing an email to a colleague. What would you write before diving into the topic of conversation? If you thought, Happy New Year, we'd be in agreement because it would be odd within the first couple of weeks of New Year's to not acknowledge this universal global experience. At the beginning of the pandemic, when we were all thrust into new realities, we started any communication with a check-in. How are you holding up? How's your family? What's it like to be working from home? Even a couple of months later, this continues to be the case for any out of the blue messages I receive. Over the last few weeks, there's been a new reason to check in. Sustained protests against police violence and the death of several black people have happened in big and small cities around the world. There's a new national discussion happening around policing and public safety. Ignoring or avoiding these realities is like not saying Happy New Year on January 3rd. It's a subtle oversight that may mar your relationships over time. Silence is not the answer. Which is why I try to take a moment in most of my meetings and coaching calls to check in about how these challenging times are impacting people. I specifically name the additional emotional work many people of color are doing to support their families and their community. For some white people who are just beginning to do their inner work around white privilege, it's an overwhelming time with few clear answers. Add to this the fear that many of us live with around a deadly virus, economic instability, and the disruption of our lives, and it's clear there are plenty of reasons to make space for a check-in. Your challenge this week. Practice making space for people to show up in all of their complexities by acknowledging their lived realities. Are folks distracted because they've been worrying about their own safety or the safety of their loved ones? Are they emotionally exhausted because they're spending time at protests to stand up for people of color or wishing they could be? Creating space for people to bring more of their full selves into the conversation allows them to be more fully present and engaged around whatever topic you are there to meet about. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest has made a career out of helping others build connections. In particular, she teaches introverts how to have a sense of self-worth, find their tribe, and make strides toward the career of their dreams. Growing up, she was painfully shy and felt like an outsider. She didn't believe it was possible to deeply and authentically connect with large numbers of people, so she rarely tried. That began to change and she stepped into leadership roles and a more outgoing part of herself started to emerge. Since then, she's been on a mission to reframe what it means to be an introvert, initially by leading by example and now helping others. She founded Confident Introvert, a training and development company helping introverts with their networking skills through corporate workshops and webinars, as well as private one-on-one networking strategy coaching. To share her message, she recently published The Confident Introvert, a practical guide to connecting with others at networking events and beyond. Please join me in welcoming Stephanie Toma. Hello. Thank you for having me. Stephanie, it's so awesome that you're joining us in your office in San Francisco, California, Welcome, welcome. As you know, this is a podcast about building strong networks and the context is leadership because 
as you would probably agree, leaders, you know, don't do that on their own, right? They're not an island. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, so let's see. I'll de- I'll start by sharing how I got started as a leader. I think I was pretty much born into a leadership role being one of the oldest of five kids. So I have a twin brother, so I, I'm hesitant to say I'm the exact oldest. He's a couple minutes older, but you know, the the oldest woman of the house, aside from my mom. Okay, we're kind of <laughs> we're going, but um, yeah. So I, I kind of learned from an early age to lead by example and uh, to kind of figure things out as I went, being among the youngest kids in a larger household and. And yeah, but growing up within a school context, I pretty much kept to myself and didn't have a super high level of confidence. Um, And where I found that I was able to find more confidence was through leadership opportunities, such as um, being on the cross-country team. That was huge. So yeah, I would say I was typically a serial monogamist in friendship. I would have one friend at a time. And uh, and then when I met people on the cross-country team um, after my, oh gosh, what was it? After my sophomore year of high school, I was thinking, oh my goodness, these are my people. I jive so well with them. You know, everyone is really into studying and um, every weekend going to meets and having that sort of competitive edge with ourselves. And uh, in my senior year, I was invited to be the team captain. So yeah, for me, getting involved in leadership comes from leading with that feeling of um, being worthy of connection. And that can be cultivated by, let's say, integrating yourself into different communities uh, or creating your own. Yeah, definitely are creating your own. This is really interesting because you know I was I was doing a little research ahead of time, learning a little bit about you, and I'm always fascinated when I get to have a, a guest who comes on who strongly identifies as an introvert and is so clearly a leader. And for you to even go beyond that to then be teaching other people that skill set, so so I am get a little curious. I want to dive back into your story, but just we're thinking about leadership itself. It feels like the definition of leadership, the, the like assumptions about the characteristics of a leader lean towards the charismatic, boisterous, you know, um, extroverted, right? Like persona. And yet, um, I don't think you'd, I don't think you'd say that. So how, how do you think about leadership and, um, what do you think are the qualities or the characteristics that make a good leader? Okay. So yes, I definitely, I I love this question. The sort of stereotype of a leader, you're right. And Western culture is to be super gregarious and, um, and maybe super overtly expressive and the kind of person that captivates people. And I mean, that it's not mutually exclusive. I think introverts can certainly get to that level, especially when they're speaking about, let's say, a topic that they're really passionate about. But um, being a leader starts with you. So, um, so in the in the work that I do in confidence building with clients, we kind of focus on three main buckets. So there's the human connection piece at the very surface level, and then how do you connect with people below the surface of that is having a level of confidence. And what gets in the way of confidence? How do you gain confidence below the surface of that is reducing anxiety. And 
I'd say that um, that a key component of being an effective leader is having a sense of self-awareness, but of course not living in a vacuum and being responsive to and observant and aware of, of other people, let's say within your community, um, within your social circles, and not just listening, but also being responsive and proactive. You know, it's so interesting. I, I, I'm just going to share, I don't think anyone's surprised by this, but I'm an outgoing extrovert. I don't, I've never had anyone think otherwise. Um, and, you know, when I was teaching uh, networking and, and, you know, explaining to people sort of a, a, a good example is people, I always teach people around body language and how to like break into those little tight networking circles at events. And I call them bagels. And I'd say like, look for the people standing in the croissant, right? That's like a little thing. But I say, just because you know, you have the personality where you could walk up to that small circle of people and like break it open by be like, hey, everybody, I want to tell a joke or a story. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think that sometimes if you're not paying attention, uh, you're not aware of your surroundings in that way, then you can make those kind of blunders. And my understanding of introverts, and I want to just, again, I think you sort of alluded to this, I think of an introversion and extroversion on a different scale than outgoing and shy. So I dated an outgoing introvert who was very, very on when she left the house, but she loved just like being home, like in her study, writing and sitting in her uh, sweatpants. That was her favorite thing to do. And I'm currently married to a shy extrovert. So I think like these are different scales. But if you're someone who's a little more um, sort of kind of laid back and watching the room, I feel like you you see a lot. And then I guess the next step that you're saying is that you also act on what you see, like you get engaged. Are you, are you saying like a leader is not just like aware of, but they're also acting on what they're seeing? Yeah, yeah. So basically um, to expand upon the idea of leadership as it pertains to human connection, um, it's, let's see, it's, it's about... Um, Let's see, a combination of, of, yeah, truly knowing oneself while considering the collective well-being. Because typically when I think of a leader, it's, it's someone who stands for something. It's not necessarily, you know, it, it's hard to be a leader when you don't um, put yourself out there and potentially have people say, oh, I really don't like what you stand for. And thus, I really don't like you. Um, it's a risk. It's a risk to be a leader and to self-identify as that and to um, have others that are like, oh yeah, that's, that's a leader that's standing for something. I really appreciate this conversation. So Stephanie, take us back. You know, you started painting the picture. So you're this, uh, you're one of the oldest of five children within minutes, almost the oldest. <laughs> and like, um, almost. <laughs> so taking, you know, taking some responsibility, obviously in, a, in the, you know, supporting your family and helping with the younger siblings. Um, but on the playground, you know, you're very studious, you're, you're focused on your books. Um, but, you know, you're, you're a nice kid. Uh, you're just not like the most well-known or most outgoing until you sort of discover this opportunity to be in this cross-country skiing. And I find that so interesting because you were having sort of a, a small knit community experience with a group of people around a shared interest. And that sustained contact sort of made you realize, oh wait, I really actually like, even though it's not more, even though it's more than one person, I actually like all of these people and they're like me, they have common interests. 
were you surprised the following year when you were senior that you got invited to be the captain? Was that like expected? Did you see that coming or was that like, whoa, you see me, like you see that I can do this? So I'd say in that particular situation, it, it was not shocking, but it also was not something that I anticipated day one. Day one, I think I was just sort of acclimating to this new social circle. And um, and yeah, I, I was super dedicated and motivated and just doing my best and doing relatively well um, in the process. And And yeah, that was noticed. And I do realize that I think what has been helpful in this journey is not being motivated too much by external validation. <laughs> so I think that's something that's really important to bring up um, just because if that had been my motivator, I think that that could have kept me from connecting with people and potentially kept me from um, from excelling in, in you know cross country running. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's just another point that I would bring up. Oh, so I apologize. I said cross country skiing, but it was cross country no running. Yeah, no, I understand yeah. cross country. If yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, okay, so cross country running. So you had your first taste of leadership it spurred something inside you. It started building some confidence. You know, it's interesting because now you're, you're in the process of teaching that, but it, usually when we're first cultivating uh, a new sort of skill set, um, we don't immediately think we're going to teach other people. We're still like working it out. Did you start looking for opportunities to lead or were you becoming more, um, were, were, I guess, were other people becoming more aware of you? Like when you go into your college years and, and early career, you know, did you just get more comfortable with the idea over time? Is that, is that sort of like a slow transition into this experience? Yeah. Okay. So, so I, that's a great question in terms of, um, is it always about being invited or is it about initiating and sort of making those leadership opportunities happen for yourself? So I'd say probably in the beginning, um, of, so certainly in high school, it was more kind of like, oh, I, I didn't really have ambitions to be in leadership. You know, there was leadership as an extracurricular and I had no desire to be in that. <laughs> you know, I think I ran, oh my gosh, this is a super throwback. I ran for school secretary, I think when I was eight years old and I didn't feel comfortable campaigning for myself. So I did not win, not a surprise, but I just thought, oh, secretary, like the secretary of the school. Okay. Like I'll, I'll run. And then I just felt so uncomfortable with everyone posting pictures of themselves all around school and, you know, talking to large groups of people. And I thought I, I didn't have the word for it when I was eight, but I would call it performative now. <laughs> very, very sort of political, you know, <laughs> like, um, it didn't seem genuine to me. Um, so, oh my gosh, I want to be sure that I answer your, your initial question. I got a little sidetracked there. Yeah, I know. It's great. Um, yeah, I think so you're yeah, right. So I think um, in college, so we talked a little bit about high school. Then in college, um, I saw leadership opportunities and I actively sought them out. So, uh, so for example, being a community events manager and being able to bring people together and lead communities as a part-time job. I applied for that and, and made it my own. Um, I also had a running club where the, the running didn't stop. I, I made friends by literally knocking on neighbors' doors and saying hi and then throwing parties sometimes. <laughs> and I, I actually found that 
that people really wanted that sense of community, especially let's say being new to a school and, and having someone who was like, Hey, I'll host, uh, was an, and having that level of organization, like organizational skills comes really naturally to me. I'm a natural planner. So, uh, so yeah, it just seems like something that was easy for me that people, um, that people enjoyed and that kinds of people that I ended up meeting resonated on a deeper level and became my tribe. I'm, I'm so glad you're naming this idea of hosting things. Um, it's something that I care deeply about. And I think that there are three kinds of people that we could seek out when we're um, we're trying to make connections or we can think about becoming one is a influencer. And it, I don't, it, this is probably the hardest one to become. Um, it's easy to identify the influencers, but I think it's hard to become one. Uh, then there's the connectors, the people who just seem to know everybody in a space. And so on a small level, you can, might be able to be a connector, but again, it's something you cultivate over time, but with very little effort, you can become a host or a convener. Like you could just decide, I'm going to start doing this, um, you know, weekly brunch with people like and all of a sudden boom you've convened people and i think the other thing i'm hearing you name is sort of an empathy for other people feeling like out of sorts and like they're not you know they're not really welcomed in yet and because they're new to the space they might really enjoy you know coming to your like that you feel like you're inviting them in as opposed to bothering them and being like i come to my thing come to my thing and it's like a very service oriented way of approaching this. And I imagine it's a little more comfortable to think about providing that value and that service than to try to feel like you're, you know, trying to convince people to come to something. Is that my naming all that? Yeah, it, I actually, it didn't cross my mind to even perceive it in another way <laughs> to perceive it as, oh, I need people to come. I mean, because the people would just come. Um, and then, you know, if there was a smaller group, I was still okay with it. You know, I didn't necessarily, and I still don't typically have this mentality of, oh, I need to have hundreds of people there or else it's a failure. I'm a failure. That's just not really in my lexicon. I I think that when, when we do have the smaller group gatherings or even smaller workshops, you can dig deeper, which I love. So that, that's a bonus. Yeah. They're very different experiences. I, I, years ago, um, I ran for 11 years, a meetup group called socializing for justice. And, um, you know, we did two socials a month and our smallest was a knitting event that had five people, but they sat together for 90 minutes or two hours knitting in a, you know, a little, around a little table. So they went way deep. And our largest event was like 150 some odd people in a loud, boisterous, hectic, chaotic room. And I bet you most people met five other people, (laughs) you know, because it's hard to navigate and you don't go that deep. So I think you're right. Like there's different experiences when you bring people together. And if you're more focused on the the space and the opportunity for people to connect, like it doesn't matter how many people are there. But, can, you know, being that host, I mean, that's a leadership role as well, like, you know, seeing that you can take that opportunity. Um, did you did you go into like uh, a career after school? Did you like have a whole like plan for your life? Did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up and all that? Yeah, I mean, so short answer is no. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I was a first generation college student. It wasn't even expected for me to go to college. So basically anything else was a total bonus after I graduated. And while I was in school, I made sure anything, I was just like a kid in a candy store, just every extracurricular I wanted to do. I was in women's choir and um, the community affairs board 
and um, oh my gosh, I, I was I trained for marathons and <laughs> yeah, and OKCSV radio news. I was a radio newscaster. I know, just um, I kind of ate it all up, and it was and I did the community events. I almost forget. There's probably more that I did, but um, those are the ones that I remember. And um, and yeah, after that, I interned in. I thought, because I studied sociology, the study of people. So I ended up interning um, at an educational nonprofit. And then from there, did marketing at a natural snack food startup. And then from there, um, went into user research business development at a tech company. And then after that, was a, a blogger. I did ghostwriting for celebrities. And then after that... Um, Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Uh, a market research recruiter for very niche studies where I literally, and this was a contrast. So let me tell you, I, when I was a full-time blogger, I was writing all day and I didn't talk to people sometimes for days. <laughs> so I welcomed this opportunity to try on this more outgoing hat, which was literally talking to hundreds of people in a day. And of course it was exhausting, but I welcomed it after such a drought of human connection. <laughs> um, and I had a knack for going up to strangers and having them listen to me. And then sometimes literally come with me to participate in paid studies that were really like high paying and they needed very specific people. And I traveled around the United States, um, literally like finding people for these um, market research studies with major tech companies. <laughs> wow, Stephanie. Okay, I this is I gotta just pin this for a second. You you just said a couple of things that are so interesting, and particularly again with the premise that you started out as this like shy kid, and now you're like telling me um, one that you found a way to get a job working with celebrities. So you just sort of casually drop that in there. So there's got to be a story about how you like <laughs> network your way into that opportunity, and that you see you see this opportunity for you to, again, like talk to hundreds of people, walk up to strangers and you're like, okay, I'll push myself out of my comfort zone and do this. And it turns out you're good at it. And, you know, would your younger self have believed you, you know, your eight year old self who was, didn't want to have your picture on the wall and like campaign for the secretary. And now you're like, can you imagine that you would take on this, this persona, this like opportunities, this role Right. And you know, I don't even know if I would call it a persona. I think that it's an extension of my authentic self. It's one piece of it. I think we're so multifaceted and I'm certainly not 100% introverted, but sometimes when I need to be, I can bring out all of the extroverted energy that I have. And then I take a very long nap, but yeah, going back to eight-year-old Stephanie, what would she think? I think she would be, she would be kind of concerned she she would be wondering, uh, okay, like you're going up to strangers. Are you safe? Um, <laughs> she would want to check in there. Um, just very cautious eight-year-old. And <laughs> she would also, um, I think be intrigued and, and impressed and like, go Stephanie. Yes. Just kind of happy to see that transition. Yeah. It's so interesting to think of, you know, ourselves and what we would think of ourselves at different, different. Yeah. Times. <laughs> no, it really is. And it feels like once you had conquered that, anything seems possible. Um, I, I knocked on doors for a charity for a couple of summers. Um, and I, I, and I've door knocked for campaigns and all, you know, I just, I don't love it. I have to, you know, like as much as I can talk to anyone about anything, uh, I found it really exhausting to like, try to like get people engaged and it's hard. And 
I've also um, have a lot of friends that have done that kind of thing, like you know, where you stand on the street and try to wave people down and talk to them. And oh yeah, it's like Ooh. oh my, I, I'm so I mean, nice. To folks. You need to get desensitized. Yeah, to it. when I see them, I'm so I always like I always acknowledge them and thank mm-hmm. them and then move on. <laughs> you know, so right. I know it's like I'm not going to sign the petition, but but I yeah, you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's really cool. I, I imagine a lot of that then helped when you decided to focus more on building your own thing. You had like that experience in your back pocket, that belief in yourself that you could have conversations with strangers and uh, engage in important topics. I mean, I, I think what you're saying is if you're passionate about it, you'll find the energy for it. You know, like, is that yes. kind of tied to that? Yeah. So at what point did you realize you wanted to do your own thing? And, and how did, what was the sort of, I don't know, progression mm. into that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say it was certainly a progression, you know, you often hear the story of someone who's in a nine to five making six figures and like, Oh, should I leave? I'm so valued here. I'm so comfortable. And then they're, they have a side business for a year or two years and it's profitable. Then they leave. Like that wasn't my story. So my story was, um, yeah, I did the nine to five thing for a few years and then I started freelancing. And the first leg of my freelancing career was, um, was this, the blogging. And then after that was the the market research, um, like recruitment and moderation and those sorts of projects. And then I started, um, career coaching through a few different platforms. Uh, and my qualification for that was the fact that I had applied to, I, I had kind of gotten my resume down to a science where I knew exactly what like how to position myself and how to write. And I had like 10 different versions of resumes for different projects that I would be applying for. Um, and people commented on, oh, your LinkedIn looks so polished. And I'm like, thank you. You know, so, so it became something that I offered to others. And then people would refer other people and that became a main focus. And then from there, oh my gosh, I actually was invited by a friend of mine to give a talk so up until this point, I had moderated panels and curated questions and, you know, been the interviewer, uh, but I hadn't been the person that was the focus of the article or of the podcast. Hello. You know, <laughs> so yeah. It, uh, so basically when my friend invited me to give a talk in front of her meetup, my first question was, what do I talk about? And she said, anything that you're an expert in. So I, I, it was a fun challenge. I had to self-identify. What am I an expert in? You know, I have this platform. She wants me to talk. Okay, like I'll do it. I'm excited by it. <laughs> um, and I met up with a friend. We made lists um, of things people know about me and things that people don't know about me. And I and basically on the list, two things stood out from both lists. So the things that people know about me: community building, networking, that sort of thing. And then what people don't know about me is that I get my energy from solitude and I do spend a lot of time in solitude, but I get really excited when talking about things I'm passionate about. So people misconstrue that excitement sometimes. Um, so yeah, that, so then the networking for introverts workshop was born and I made, I think 60 slides in a matter, matter of a couple of hours. It just seemed to flow out of me. And when I gave the presentation, there were um, more people than I thought. There were 60 people. And then it was at a WeWork in downtown San Francisco. And then the people who were co-working, they were coming over and watching and listening. I was like, oh, this is so interesting. <laughs> like people are interested in this topic. And um, and then from there, inbound, 
people came up asking me, will you coach me on networking? <laughs> so yeah, it, it was, you know, I, I would not say that, oh, it was completely coincidental. I do think that everything happens for a reason. I, I opened myself to those sorts of opportunities. And when the opportunity came, I said yes, even though I wasn't totally sure. Wow. Okay. I want to unpack this a little bit because <laughs> I want people who are listening to like take some notes. Um, for one, I love that exercise you just described, making the list of what people know about you and they don't know about you and that using that to figure out like what expertise you could share if given the opportunity. And if people listening don't yet have the opportunity, I think they should still do the exercise because that might help them decide like, oh, this is a thing I could share. I should be sharing this. And then they'll, then you'll go and look for the opportunity and you'll probably find it or make it like host your own thing and just put it out there. Um, so that's a really cool exercise. Never heard anyone talk about it that way. And, um, you know, I'm not surprised the networking with introverts thing. I mean, like I find that every time I do an article around the, using those, those keywords, that there's always more of a buzz. Um, there's a lot of talk about that. There's a lot of books on that. And I, I want to give you an opportunity because you decided to write a book yourself about the confident introvert and to, you know, basically that's the whole idea of your whole, um, your whole business and everything. And I, I, I love this framing of, um, because introversion, again, it's just like where you get your energy, which is different than, I guess, I guess I would say it's like, I'm a person who stays so long that I end up stacking all the chairs because I don't know how to go home. Like mm -hmm. there's still people there. I'm going to stay because I love people so much. I get so much energy from being people, but you're like, well, I did my hour. I'm done. Like I'm good. And then you want to go home and like re reboot, you know, like recharge a little bit. And, but while you're there, you have confidence, you know, while you're there, you're very present, you're very engaged. So how did you start realizing like you could even teach that, which is a little different than networking with introverts. It's like almost a little more strengths-based, I guess, way of describing like, it's not like a deficit, oh, introverts need to overcome something in order to network. It's more like, no, 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 you have everything you need. Let me, let me help you realize that. Right. So our belief systems are so powerful. <laughs> so one of the reasons why the book is not called Networking for Introverts is because human connection starts with you. Uh, so the title is Confident Introvert because I know that it makes people question, wait, is that possible? <laughs> Um, because there is this idea that of confidence being synonymous with extroversion. Um, when, yeah, enable in order to get to that level of connecting with people um, in a networking capacity, it starts with having a sense of self-confidence because I'm sure we've all been at events where there's someone who just, you know, is kind of looking down at body language. You know, you talked about this earlier, maybe kind of hunched over and um, literally you know, standing up against a wall and just not looking super comfortable or super inviting. And I wouldn't say that that person is necessarily an introvert or an extrovert, but it would appear that they don't have confidence or that they haven't yet cultivated it. Because I do think everyone has access to confidence. It's just a matter of understanding what limiting beliefs we have that are holding us back. Like it could be something that someone, uh, you know, a well-meaning teacher or parent said to you, you know, when you were very young that you now as an adult think of as fact. <laughs> so yeah, the book definitely is not afraid to dig deep, goes into those self-inquiry questions of who am I really? And how can I share that with others? 
Wow, it's so great. I want to actually bring up a guest that I had uh, way back in the day, um, episode 93, which came out in May of 2018, which is which is actually a couple of years ago now, which is amazing. Um, her name is Maura Ahrens Mele, and um, she has a podcast and a book with the same title called Hiding in the Bathroom. <laughs> Um, and, uh, the, the title of that episode is empowering introverts. And she, um, she basically talks to people and shares about, you know, how, you know, she's a strongly identifies as a shy introvert and how she sort of built her business and, uh, developed her confidence and attracted her people by being her true self and not trying to modify herself to meet other people's expectations, which, was actually more exhausting, like which it led nowhere and, and didn't get her anywhere. So we'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. Um, but I love showcasing people who don't fit the stereotype of the, you know, brash, you know, charismatic leader. Um, because, you know, people are genuinely drawn to others who, you know, see them and, and, you know, have that confidence to look them in the eye and all those things. Um, so this is wonderful. You're developing it. I'm curious, as you think about building your own network, though, and you're thinking about how you nurture and sustain, not just the people who are your closest to, like you're going to make an effort and see them, whether you plan to or not, but sort of like the second and third tiers out, the people that you see every year at a conference or that you worked with five years ago, and but you really like these people. How do you think about nurturing and sustaining those connections? Do you have any habits, philosophies, practices around that? Yeah. So, okay. So keeping, you know, loose ties, um, just active, right. And to not have people go completely cold to maintain a sense of community and connection with people that we meet, even if it's seemingly fleeting, or maybe we live in different cities and different countries. Uh, so, you know, I, I would not necessarily recommend getting out a spreadsheet and putting dates on the calendar for every new person, that can be exhausting. I don't think that's necessary. Um, but I would say I really like to make it a point to wish everyone on LinkedIn, everyone on Facebook, a happy birthday. <laughs> it can be as simple as that. Um, and it can open up a dialogue. And also just kind of being aware and being active on... I, I like to choose maybe a couple of social media platforms to dedicate most of my energy to. And a great way to maintain a level of connection with people that you don't see very often is to be curious and to like see what shows up in your feed, but also click in and actively engage. And liking is really not enough. I'd say commenting on things, engaging, sharing, supporting people. So let's say someone came out with a new book, sharing you know, like what their new product is, or if someone had an accomplishment at work, then just making it very overtly clear that you're in their corner and you are celebrating their successes. And then alternatively, if someone's having a hard time and it's within your wheelhouse to be of help to them, um, I think that networking at its best is being able to help people with ease. It's where you know where your zone of genius is and, and what you're good at. You've done that internal work. And if someone needs help with something that would be so difficult for them, you're able to either connect them with someone who can help or directly help. Gosh, I love this. Everyone just stop and rewind for the last like two minutes and like to start taking notes again, because, um, you know, you, you make us all sound a little effortless, but I think that, um, 
I would sum it up to say that you notice things and then you act on the thing you notice. This is true, I think, in the whole conversation. Um, so it's not surprising to me that that's also how you're nurturing your network. So you notice it's someone's birthday and then you make an effort to let them know you see that. And if they have like a job announcement or they're going through troubled times, like you're like, okay, I see you. I see you. I, I recognize what's going on. I'm acknowledging, I'm engaging. Um, one of the things I've been trying to do and uh, is if I see an announcement on, let's say, Facebook or LinkedIn, I try to figure out how to most, like, what is the most personal way that I could acknowledge it? So if it's, uh, let's say, birthday on Facebook, I don't comment on people's walls anymore. I will either send them a private message. Um, I will text them if I have their phone number. You know, I will, like, send them an email. I will just try to make it something more than just, like, if my mom wrote on my wall, I wouldn't see it. Like, you know, like, it wouldn't be enough. She, you know, I wouldn't be like, my mom didn't even you know, acknowledge my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and she would have been like, I wrote on your wall. So um, <laughs> that's not enough. Um, or if someone gets a new job, like, how do I write them that? Just a, like, congrats on your job, which is like the automatic filler thing LinkedIn does. But like, really like, wow, you know, this company is so lucky to get you. And then like maybe doing a public post that says that and tagging the company and saying like, you are so lucky you just hired Stephanie. And, you know, just really kind of doing that extra step. Um, it's amazing like how that has led off in some really nice conversations and touch points throughout the year. And, and really it's like the, the, the initiative is just mostly that I have to notice the, the fact that I'm being fed that information. Social media is giving me those opportunities, but so many of us just don't act on them. And even when I get busy, I don't act on them as much as I'd want to. Um, so I really like what you're saying. It sounds like not complicated, not big spreadsheets, not a CRM, <laughs> you know, not a point system. It's more like when you see the opportunity, take the action. So am I missing anything that you, we, we should underscore for people listening? Let's see. I mean, I think as it pertains to that point, yeah, I, I think that there's there's an element of strategy that you can put in place when it comes to your job search, for example, or maybe certain ways to get in front of certain people in person at, let's say, events or virtual events. Um, but ultimately, I think a lot of this becomes fairly intuitive, especially when you've done the internal work to know what you stand for and who you can help. And it just kind of breaks down so many barriers to, to connection. That's brilliant. All right. So one of my favorite questions is a wrap-up question is if we were reconnecting a year from now and you live in the Bay Area, my wife's family is in the Bay Area in Hayward. So once we're allowed to all get on planes on a regular basis, we're mm-hmm. out there usually a, a, a <laughs> once or twice a year. Um, so we will probably even connect in person, which is wonderful. Oh, yes. So if we're you know reflecting on the previous year and we're talking about all of your successes, what are we going to be celebrating? What are you looking forward to the most in the year ahead? Okay. In a year, we will be celebrating the launch of Confident Introvert, the book. <laughs> that that will be... So a year from now, it will be a year old. And right now I'm in the process of doing a virtual tour, but I would love to do an in-person tour. But of course, that will be on hold until sometime in 2021. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't, you know, for me, I, I think um, I'm doing this like countdown to when I get to hug strangers again. <laughs> Like then I'll really know we're past this moment. <laughs> so it's going right. to be a little while. I know the yeah. greeting, the whole like, yeah, handshakes. I remember when this all first started, we we were not supposed to handshake or hug and then it just kind of escalated. But yeah, it'll be such a, a sign 
that things are kind of, you know, reacclimating to a new normal once we can start doing those things again. Oh yeah. One day, generationally maybe, but still one day. This Mm -hmm. is wonderful. So Stephanie, how can people find you and follow your work? Yeah. So if you would like to stay connected uh, over my email newsletter, the Confident Introvert Digest, that is at Stephanie Toma and Toma is spelled T-H-O-M-A.com slash newsletter. I'm also on social media. Uh, my Instagram handle is Stephanie M. Toma. And I'm also on Facebook where if you'd like to see um, different events, I typically host one to two times a week. It could be a wellness event. It could be um, a business-focused event, uh, then yeah, definitely check out Facebook for those. That's fun. Excellent. Well, we'll have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Robbie. This has been so fun. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Stephanie. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 202. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If virtual events are part of your 2020 plans, you need to get better at creating engaging online experiences. We all do. That's why I'm running the 5% Advantage program, a four-week experiential program that teaches online facilitation and virtual event design. The next cohort starts on Wednesday, July 8th at 9 p.m. Eastern. If you want more information or to join the waiting list to hear about the next cohort dates, email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. That's Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. If you enjoyed this episode with Stephanie, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who has achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.